joining us in singing this morning, you may be seated. Thank you, Greg. Well, what'd you guys do this weekend? Anything exciting? Our teens did something fun this weekend. Uh, many of them went to the Lake Ann um, Baptist Youth Camp's freeze out. So there's a picture of the teens that went uh, to freeze out, and I saw a face that I didn't recognize uh, in the picture. Do you see a face that you don't recognize in the picture? And so I, I ask um, Sarah, who, who is in the picture that I don't recognize? And Sarah's like, yeah, they're not from our group. <laughs> we were just taking the picture at lunchtime, and there was lots of helpful teens running around. And so she sent me another picture with that face scrubbed out of it, and I thought that one was funnier. So I uh, included that one. So uh, special thanks to uh, the, the volunteers that went, the, the youth sponsors that went, and hopefully are receiving heavenly combat pay for a weekend uh, with our teens. So, so thankful for them giving up their... their uh, Friday night, and all day Saturday, and then Sunday. So thankful for that. Um, here's the plan for this morning. This morning, we are going to talk about training for maturity in Christ. So I introduced the idea of training versus trying last week. I can't re-preach that sermon, but if you listen to the first five or ten minutes of last week's message, they'll understand the difference between training and and trying. I was applying the idea to uh, marriage last week. This week we'll be applying the idea of training to maturity in Christ. And so the, the basic essence of training is the idea that we do today what we can do today to succeed tomorrow. So we're training for maturity in Christ. And so when we think about this uh, maturity, uh, maturity in Christ is when the gospel changes how we think and the gospel changes what we do. So we mature when we have our thoughts more aligned with the gospel and our actions more aligned with the gospel. When we're, when we're growing and, and um, integrating truth into how we actually live so we aren't hypocrites. I think Colossians is all about this idea of maturity because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul is writing about his ministry, and he's explaining why he does what he does. And so he, he writes, we proclaim him, or I'm sorry, him we proclaim, he's talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul has one goal that he has for everyone he ministers to, and that's that they be mature in Christ. I think this was Paul's goal when he was speaking in front of Festus and Agrippa. His goal was not merely to convert them, but to see them converted and become mature in Christ. I think when the Apostle Paul is speaking in Athens to the pagan philosophers, I think his goal is not merely to convert them, but so that they would become mature 
in Christ. Now, what do you think of when you think of mature? I mean, the word, the word means like perfect, it means complete, it means filled out. And as, as I was thinking about this, I thought about the difference between a 14-year-old boy and an 18-year-old man. What's the difference between a 14-year-old boy and an 18-year-old man? Four years, yes, four years. I, I, so I'm thinking of contact sports. You know, I, I grew up playing contact sports, watched a lot of contact sports. What's the difference between a freshman and a senior in contact sports? 20 to 40 pounds of muscle. Usually they're about the same height when they're 14 as they are when they're 18. But when they're 18, there's 20 to 40 pounds of muscle and a lot more coordination. And they're not getting pushed around anymore. They're the ones pushing people around at that point. And it's like there's a big change from 14 to 18, at least for the boys that I've observed. What Paul wants for this church is for them to put on 20 to 40 pounds of gospel muscle. Like, let's grow up, boys. Let's mature. This is at the beginning of the book. It's also at the end of the book. So Epaphras is kind of like their contact. We'll see his name early in the book as well. And um, so he begins with Epaphras, and he ends with Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. What's the goal? The goal is that you be mature. And so you're not being blown around by the winds of false doctrine anymore. The goal is that you stand fast in the faith, that you know what you believe and why, that your faith is filled out and grown up and mature and stable. This is what I hope for us, man, that we put on 20 to 40 pounds of gospel muscle, that we, we are a muscular, moving forward, healthy, mature church, that we, that we move the needle, that we move the ball up the field during this series in Colossians. So maturity, if, if I can use an analogy I used in Titus, maturity, if you think of our life like a tree, and so you have our beliefs down here, and you have the fruit of our lives or our behavior up here, so this is what everyone sees, this is what people can't see, so this is what you really believe, this is how you act. Maturity is when we we or we mature as we go deeper in the truth, and we mature at the same time when we bear more fruit or our behavior is more aligned with what we say we believe. This is the goal, that we go deeper and that we're more fruitful, or that we're more aligned with what we say we believe on the other side of this. So this is, this is a goal in the book of Colossians, that the gospel would inform what we think and what we do. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this book, that you would help us understand the gospel, that you would help us believe the gospel, and you would help us act in alignment with it. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name, for your glory and our good. Amen. 
So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 reads, The apostle, I'm sorry, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. I, I mean, I'm just telling you, I could preach for 30 minutes on by the will of God. The apostle Paul was um, angry at Christians, angry at the disciples of Jesus, thought it was a cancer in Judaism that should be eradicated, and was doing his best to do it when Jesus showed up and changed his life. It just starts with, man, God picked me, I didn't pick him. There's so much power in that. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Not biologically, but because Timothy is in Christ and we are in Christ. Here's a picture of in Christ. So, so of course, Christ is the big person here and we are in Christ. That's what it means to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ. And so saints are those who have been called and justified and sanctified that they are in Christ. So you are in Christ when you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He adopts you. He makes you part of his family. And so you are in Christ Jesus, part of his body. So to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So you can see the ruins of Colossae today in modern-day Turkey. The closest city that you would know like from biblical references would be Ephesus. So you see this little box here, this little red box. It's, this, it's blown up here in this big red box. So you see Ephesus up here. And then you see Colossae over here and Laodicea right there. That's the Laodicea from the book of Revelation. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, look, you guys, when you're done reading this letter, make sure you trade it with the, with the Laodiceans and you read their letter and they read your letter and because these letters will apply to both of you. So you see that in Colossians 4.16, trade letters with the Laodiceans is essentially what he's saying. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God. Man, this is always and only about grace. So I'm so glad we sang about grace again and again and again. He starts with God's grace because we're thanking God for what he's done. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And so what we're going to see again and again is the alignment between what we believe and how we behave. You know, what we think and what we do. Okay? So he says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your faith in the gospel, your faith in the truth, your faith in the good news, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. So it, your faith has impacted your life. So it's changing the way you live. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Okay, did you notice that? I didn't notice that the first seven or eight times I read this. I had to have someone else point it out to me. It's faith, love, and hope. Okay, I got that. That's not a problem. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, what's the greatest of these? Faith, love, and hope. Which one is the greatest? Love. In Colossians, what's the foundation of these? Hope. Hope. Your hope in eternal life. Your hope 
that treasures are laid up for you in heaven is the foundation of your faith and your love. Hope makes you able to sustain hardship as you love and as you believe because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So the gospel fundamentally, primarily, is something that you hear, not something that you do. We'll come back to this later on. The idea, the gospel is something that you hear. It's news. It's truth. It's facts. It's not steps, instructions, or a plan. The gospel is good news about God. So he says, your life changed because you heard the word of truth, the gospel. It's truth as opposed to the lies that are going around Colossae that he is going to fight against later on in the, in the, in the book of Colossians. So he says, which has come to you, so the gospel is what has come to them, as indeed the whole world, it's like the gospel is uh, a living thing at this point, it, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it. See, there's that word idea. It's something you believe. It's, it's something you assimilate. It's something you understand. It's something that you learn. The gospel is, as I did among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. You see that the gospel is news. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So because he has believed this, he is now faithful. His mind has informed his behavior. Um, his gospel beliefs has led him to gospel actions which are bearing fruit in his life. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us that your lives have changed for good. Your love in the spirit. So, what do you have to have? What is absolutely true about God that you have to have in this passage? What is the fundamental roots that you must own? Well, let's talk about the fundamental truths of the gospel here. The gospel is about Jesus, and the gospel is news that you believe. And foundational, fundamental to the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins and rose again on the third day. This, I think, is what he means when he says, so chapter 1, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Well, what is the faith in Christ Jesus? Like, what, is, what are they believing? What is the life-changing truth that they're believing? Well, if you look down at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, I think he tells us, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Oh, hold on. Hold on. What's that? What's the domain of darkness? Hell. When spiritual, when dark spiritual powers are more in control of your life than you are. When you're enslaved to sin. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What does that mean? Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. What does that mean? It means you went from being enslaved to sin, where the dark spiritual powers were more in charge of your life than you were, to being transferred to the kingdom of Christ. Remember our in Christ picture up there? You went from being a slave to that and everything that meant to being transferred into Christ. So that stuff is not in charge of you anymore. <laughs> That's news. That's not steps. That's not instructions. That's why there's hope. Because Jesus is the one that is powerful that did it. Now you just have to implement what you already know is true. If it was up to you, you'd never get out of the domain of darkness. You'd still be stuck. But Jesus unstuck you and transferred you to the kingdom of... That's next week's sermon. I'm going to stop preaching that. Let's keep, keep reading here. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption. What is that? What is redemption? Man, he bought you. He paid your debt. He took your place. He bore your punishment. That's not steps. That's not instructions. That's news. He did that for you. That's not something that is, okay, you've got to be good enough for God to like you. Here's the 10 steps that you have to do so that maybe God will accept you. Maybe he won't. Who knows? Like, hope you try hard. That's not it. The good news is he died in your place to redeem you from your sins. You receive that and surrender to it. That's it. That's all you can do. That's news. That's not a plan. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It all boils down to that, the forgiveness of sins. Like, I don't know, dude, I've got some big ones. His grace is bigger. I don't know, man, I got some old ones. He is eternal. What do you know of time? I don't know, dude, I've got some habitual ones. You think his grace is not stronger than your habits? You think he can't deliver you from the dominion of darkness? Like the, these are beliefs that we have, like core beliefs that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And so what that means is, chapter 3, verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ because he died and rose, if you are in Christ, you died too and you rose to newness of life. You can live a new life because you are in Christ and you are living in resurrection power. That's news. That's not steps. That's news. That's not a plan. That's news. That's, that's soul-anchoring truth that you can apply by living in compliance with that truth. Okay. Number one. So going back to Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, we have heard, we thank God because we have heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus. So that was chapter 1, verse 4, faith, A, faith in Christ Jesus. Now, chapter 1, verse 4, B, and the love you have for all the saints. What this means is that Jesus brought us together in Christ. This is news. This is an implication of the gospel that you are in Christ, but you're not by yourself in Christ. You're with other people in Christ. That Jesus picked you. He just picked you. Like the Apostle Paul can say, Paul, an apostle, by the will of God. You'd say, I'm in Christ by the will of God. But here's the thing. So are they. So are they. If he picked you, he also picked them. He likes them too. So you got to like them. You know, he justified you. That means he made it just as though you had never sinned. He wiped away all of your sins. And he did that for them. So you can't be bitter and you can't hold the grudge that he's not holding. He's planning on you spending eternity with him. And he's planning on them spending eternity with him and you. If you're going to get along there, you may as well learn how to get along here. He brought us together. So that's chapter 1, verse I said verse 4 earlier, and I'll come back to that, but chapter 1, verse 2, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. And then he says, we just thank God since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is a roots of tree belief that I am not alone in Christ. Man, that by itself is really good news. No matter how alone you feel, you are not alone. You are in Christ with other people if you're in Christ. Okay, number three implication of the gospel is that, well, it's verse five, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, this is the hope of eternal life. And it turns out that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, on Matthew, in Matthew chapter six, verse, I think it's beginning with 19 and then verse 20 he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, ru where rust and moth, where rust corrodes and moth eats it. I'm going to misquote it here for you. I thought I could quote it because I used to know it inside. I know it cold, but some of you know when you get gray hair, something happens to your memory. You know the passage, though. What's that, Kent? Thieves break in and steal. Thank you. Yeah. But he says, store up treasures in heaven. Like, that's, the, that's kind of the idea I want to push on here. Like, that is a possibility. You can store up treasures in heaven. There will be a next life. There will. This is not all there is. So you don't have to. You will miss loved ones. But you don't have to be devastated. You will see them again. If they're in Christ. 
if you're in Christ. It gives us eternal hope and eternal perspective that we can anchor our souls to. So what should we do? You know, if, if we're... If the, gospel, if the news is, so the truth is, the facts are that Jesus died for our sins, that he brought us together in Christ, and that there is eternal hope. If, if that's the news, if that's the truth, then what should we do? So we're going to try to answer the so what question here. So here's what he says again and again in these first eight verses. What he says again and again in these first eight verses is he's thankful that they have heard, that they have understood, and that they have learned. He's thankful that they have paid attention to this and owned it for themselves. And this is the part of going deep with the truth that we're talking about in the book of Colossians. Hopefully you learn more than you knew before we started because you hear. And so it, it, it just bears repeating. I say this... Um, Every new members class I teach is I, I try to remind people when I'm telling them, when I'm, when I'm encouraging them to get to know the Bible, you know, I say, like, audio Bibles count. Audio Bibles count. I think there's this, there's this underlying guilt for some of us that if I'm not reading it, it doesn't count. Audio Bibles count. Like, for the, how long, how long has it been that most people know how to read? Not very long. Not very long at all. For most of history, only a select few people knew how to read. And so the only time you'd hear the scripture is when you came to church and they read it to you. And that's why the Apostle Paul, I think that's one of the reasons he says, uh, look at verse, verse 6, which has come to you, the gospel has come to you, as indeed the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. You would hear it, not read it, because most of them couldn't read. So, so look, what I'm saying is, you can listen to the book of Colossians again and again and again and again, and, and know so much more about it. So if you just make listening to the book of Colossians part of your morning commute, how much further ahead would you be if you listened to it five days a week? How well could you get to It's four chapters. How well could you get to know it if you just made it part of your, of your commute? You could really get to know it. You'd have to want to do it, but, but you, could, you could get to know it really well. You could, you could work at understanding it. You could read a, all the notes in your study Bible. If you own a study Bible, you could read all the notes in your study Bible on the book of Colossians, and you could understand a lot more than you do right now. I'm just telling you, chapter 1 and 2 of Colossians is about as dense as anything in the Bible. You're going to read that and go, wow, what did I just read? And a study Bible would really help kind of unpack it and help you, help you own it and understand it. You could do that. You could learn it. By learn it, I, I, you know, they learned it from Epaphras. And when I think of learning, I think of, man, we had a we had a class called Inductive Bible Study of Hebrews. So we really worked on the book of Hebrews. And, and our professor told us there's a secret to getting to know the book of Hebrews that no one knows. But I'm going to give it to you. 
and we all kind of lean in, you know, we're eager college students preparing for the ministry. He's like, this is, no one does this, but this is the secret to getting to know a book of the Bible. He's like, you got to read it. And so he had us read it every week. So every week, I, remember, I think the class was on Thursday, so every Thursday he would go around the room and ask, did you read it? Yes. <clears throat> Check. Did you read it? No. Check. You know, and so he graded us on whether or not we sat down and read through the book all in one shot. And man, you know, I read the book of Hebrews most weeks for an entire semester and I know it cold. I know it because I read it from start to finish every week for a whole semester. Like if you do that, I mean we'll be in the, the book of Colossians for about a semester. You could do that. You could read it once a week, sit down, read it. It's four chapters. You could read it from start to finish and you could know it cold. And the goal would be that you would go deeper in your knowledge so that you can go higher in your behavior and bear more fruit. Just remember that. Okay, you, you could know it. I know some of you have um, memorized the book of Colossians in your past. You're telling me that. Other, others I know are continuing to copy the scripture as we go through it. And so if you want to do that, I, this is in your bulletin again this week. It was in your bulletin last week. And it's this, this is my preaching calendar through the book of Colossians. So if you want to get to know the book of Colossians, and like if you want to follow along with how we're going to go through it, then you can, you can follow along that way, and that'll tell you um, where I'm going to be. So if you want to study it ahead of time or afterwards or whatever, you can. So mature in Christ. But here's, here's my... Here's my uh, Here's where I want to push you. Because I think there's some people here that are like, well, I already know all that. I already know it all. Like, I'm not going to learn anything. And I, I, think, I think I hear that kind of like someone who has read a review of The Lord of the Rings and is like, I mean, it's a story about some people on a trip with a ring. I already know it all. Like, well, there's more to enjoy in the story than that. Right? Like, it, it'd be kind of like someone saying, you know, I've heard about the original Star Wars trilogy, and I think I, I, think I know it all. It's about some guy with daddy issues. Like, well, you know, there's more to enjoy to the story than that. And if you're like, well, I think I, I, think I know it all. Like, I think I got the whole gospel. I think I've got this. I bet there's more life in it than you think. I bet there's more here than, you, than you'd believe. Will you join us in it? Like, if you do, what you'll end up doing is you won't continue to struggle with the same old sins anymore. In fact, the Apostle Paul says what you'll do instead is, chapter 3, verse 5, what you'll do is you'll take those old sins out back and give them a violent death. Because you died with Christ. What are you doing wandering back into that old sin? What are you doing keeping that sin around like a pet? 
What are you doing feeding that sin like a stray cat that comes back again and again? Take it out back, not the cat, the sin, and kill it. Give it a quick, violent death, the sin. He's saying, like, this, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm already dreading the election. My dad was saying this, and he's like, you know, the old curse, um, and I think I was talking with Craig about this too, the old curse of may you live in interesting times. And he's saying this is going to be one of the most interesting elections in a lot of our lifetimes. It's going to be contentious, and there's going to be a lot of anger and fear and hate and all that stuff. And, uh, man, if we get the gospel right, if we get the gospel right, we'll love each other. Through the election, from beginning to end, we'll love each other. I mean, chapter 3, verse 11 is like working out an implication of the gospel. And he says here, in Christ, there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We're together in this. We're together, and that's bigger than an election. It will even affect how you work. So when the Apostle Paul is writing to slaves, and we'll, we'll talk about slavery when we get there, what you need to know right now is that slavery was not based on race back then. It was a different form of slavery. It was also often not your whole life. It was a different form of slavery. But he says to them, he says to slaves in chapter 3, verse 23, because even though it was a different form of slavery than we knew here, you can still imagine that slaves sometimes didn't enjoy going to work every day. The slaves sometimes didn't appreciate their masters. It was sometimes hard to be a slave. And he says to them, Whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. For you are serving the Lord Christ. Hey, what does is, what is he tell them? He says, You have this job that you hate with this boss that is really your boss with a capital B? That you'd rather not be your boss? And what does he say? He says, work hard. Why? Because you'll be storing up an eternal reward. That is an implication of the gospel. Do you see how your eternal hope in Christ would lead you to work hard for someone that you'd rather not work for? It's, be, it's belief working itself out in behavior in your life. This is the same thing he says to masters. He says, masters, in chapter 4, verse 1, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He says to them, hey, hey, have an eternal perspective and treat them like you want God to treat you in heaven. My goal for this series is that we would go deeper in belief and be more fruitful in behavior, that we would mature in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do the work um, of helping us know and understand and learn the truth so that we can become aligned with you in our behavior. Lord, thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.